0: care. And I think that's why psychedelics are having this, this kind of cultural moment right now is we're in this, you know, whether you're talking about anxiety, depression, suicidality, substance abuse, these are all rates that are going up. Like we're, we're, we recognize we're not doing a sufficient job of treating, you know. (laughs)
1: Welcome to the Gens Talk Pod.
0: Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm you flew in recently. <laughs> I did. On did. Air Canada. On Air Canada. And
1: you're going to check us out on Air Canada. I'm going
0: to 100% check us out on Air Canada. Yeah, because yeah, your episode yeah. will be up there too. I'm looking forward to and it. And you can tell everybody that you're on I'm going to be, Canada every time I hear somebody that's on a flight, I'm going to be like, are you, t- are you flying Air Canada? Yeah. Yeah. If out, so, I know what you've got to do. Episode, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 well, listen, thanks for coming by.
1: We appreciate you being here. Um, you have a fascinating story. Mm. But I don't want to be the one to tell it. I want you to tell us your sure. story. So let's just start straight with you. Um, you're a CEO of a company called Numinous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a company that specializes in treatments and therapy. Mm-hmm. But there's an element of the use of psychedelics in that process. Correct. Now, there is... A general misnomer around psychedelics, a lot of people associate them as like a hard drug that's really bad for you, stay away from it, lock your doors, protect your children Mm -hmm. type of thing. Mm -hmm. But you're here to sort of shine some light on maybe some things that are misunderstood about psychedelics and how that works and how that can be used to help treat sort of therapy in, in patients. Yeah. So let's start with, you know, who you are. Sure. How you got to this point, and we'll jump right into it.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, kind of starting for me. So, I'm someone who I was born with severe chronic pain, and, um, you know, has been something as I was kind of growing up and as a young kid that really grappled with. um, I mean, at a very young age, because you're always looking at your own mortality, this real grappling of like, am I supposed to be here? and as a as a young person that's like a a very challenging thing to kind of meet and um, but I I grew up in a in a family household that struggled with substance abuse and my mom got sober when I was 12 and came home from rehab she was gone for about six months and came home and gives me a hug and the first thing she says is you might want to start talking to somebody and I took that really really seriously because because of my chronic pain and you know you watch somebody and it's you know it's it's your mom it's the person that you know as a 12 year old you love more than anything else in the world and you know i watched my mom go through that adversity and see herself the way that i always hoped that she could see herself mm-hmm. and it was this really like okay like there's maybe some hope for me in this as well and so, at twelve years old, become very, very passionate about mental health and the inter and in particular, like this intersection of mental health and physical health. You know, I, I was aware at a very young age that my upbringing was maybe not the healthiest upbringing. And then, you know, when you have a parent that is an addict that goes into sobriety, you see the real other, like you start to see like, oh, some of the things that were happening to me are not necessarily the healthiest things that should be happening to a child. Right. Yeah. And so that the sort of volition behind that was this chronic pain that I was suffering with. And so as a young person became very passionate about mental health and started to become something of like a mental health advocate in my community. And it wasn't intentional. I had a couple friends that, you know, felt like they could benefit from some of the things that I was doing, and I just didn't want to be the only kid in therapy, so I was hoping that more of my friends were going <laughs> to gonna join in. Um, and that kind of led me on this sort of like healing crusade that I had been on. And um, And then in kind of early, you know, getting out of high school, my chronic pain is continuing to persist, but I'm getting... Like, I'm seeing the benefit of all the mental health work that I'm doing, so it's keeping me... It's kind of like enough breadcrumbs to keep me yeah. going on the path. Um, and then at 18, uh, I wasn't smart enough to become a doctor, um, but I knew I wanted to help people, so I kind of I naively get into the finance industry, thinking like, well, I'm, I'm not smart enough to be a doctor. Um, maybe if I make people more money, that will help them with their happiness or provide them with a better life. Really quickly realize how naive, uh, that idea was. Um, but I really loved the, the part of that industry that I really love was I got to experience so many different industries. I got to work with people and I got to really, you get this kind of interesting vantage point, especially the kind of work that I was doing. You get this very interesting vantage point of how organizations operate and what makes one successful and what makes one not successful. That all to say, kind of fast forward to 30 years old. Um, I'd been a part of a couple brokerage firms. I'd bought in a smaller brokerage firm with a group. We'd sold that to largest, uh, one of the largest independent brokerage firms in Canada. At 30, I was running the West Coast offices for that firm. I was a director of the Across Canada firm. I was sitting on the advisory board for the TSX. And, you know, seeing all this success but my chronic pain had never been worse. And I was ending up in the emergency room like three days a week. And I remember actually the most like financially successful week of my life, I spent that whole week in the hospital. And I remember sitting there going like, if this is if this is like what success is supposed to be, then you can have it. Not like all I want to do is just be healthy. And but i was also slipping into this like mindset of m- maybe maybe this is like the burden that i have to bear in order to be successful mm. you know and it was this l- very interesting kind of dynamic i was getting in but eventually got myself to a point where i was really out of options and at that point in time my chronic pain essentially like what would it was severe gut pain that within 30 minutes would be the best way I can explain is just the absolute overwhelming experience of pain and Mm -hmm. that like, well that the pain felt like it was coming from felt like infinite. Mm -hmm. And so it was this race to get to the emergency room or commit suicide. And it was this very binary, like I I say that and it sounds severe, but it was just this very binary, like, can I, can I get somewhere where the pain is going to stop or am I going to have to just like take this into my own hands? Yeah. Right. It's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be. And, um, and I, th- and, but it was interesting, like also how many times I'd faced that it, it like, it almost took the charge out of it. And I maybe didn't appreciate how heavy that was probably weighing on the people who really loved and cared about me. Um, but all to say you know where I kind of ended up was I felt very out of options. I tried everything I private health clinic like every I could probably with all the testing and stuff I've done, I probably could fly to Mars uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you're NASA ready. I, I'm, I'm NASA ready. Um, but you know really was out of options. Yeah. and um, there was one one day in the emergency room I, I said to my, my partner now my wife, I said, you know you, you got to trust me, but I, I got to do something quite different. And she said, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? And I'd researched psychedelics for like a year and a half. I'm kind of a down the rabbit hole kind of person. I'd never had a psychedelic experience in my life because I grew up in a family that struggled with substance abuse. I was always kind of the anti-recreational drug person. Um, but I said, I, I, I gotta try something. And, and the plan was to go to Costa Rica and, and go do ayahuasca. and, you know I said this is this is what I got to do and and she kind of looked at me and she said so let me get this straight you have severe chronic gut pain and your game plan is to fly to the jungle and drink this like tea that makes you throw up and you think that that's mm. gonna alleviate your gut pain and I was just like it's the best I got yeah. <laughs> and um, and I booked my flights while I was in the hospital I went home packed my bags got on the plane Flew to Costa Rica and, um, the whole time
1: you were on that plane, like, is there a point where you're just like, what am I doing?
0: You know, the, the deal was that I'd made with myself is it was like, either it's this or I'm, I'm done. And, um, and, and I was so, um, not defeated, but I was really like, you know, there's this interesting kind of intersection of like hope and faith and surrender and i and i don't think that they're mutually exclusive like i think i think that's where you really find like and and faith is a loaded word but you you in those moments of really not despair but actually like really truly letting go that that was kind of i think the the place where i was at Mm -hmm. um and so you know get to costa rica and um You know, it was interesting going through that whole experience. I had no, um, you know, you watch the YouTube videos, you listen to a couple podcasts, you have these kind of expectations of what it's going to be like. Um, My experience was like none of those things. And as I'm going through the experience, because my experience wasn't like, you know, what the YouTube videos had said, I start to go into this like it's not, it's not working, Mm -hmm. right. And there was an experience that I went through that I kind of credit to really being like the catalyzing experience where I had to come to full acceptance that maybe, maybe what I've been experiencing is actually just what I'm supposed to, like, what if there's actually nothing to fix? Okay. What if this is actually just the experience that I'm supposed to have? And what if that was it? And really like coming to terms with that. Mm. And not coming to terms of that in the sense of like, yeah, I come to terms of that, but like maybe, maybe in the back of my mind, like it'll get fixed. Like actually like hands and knees acceptance that like, if this is all that I was ever supposed to experience, like coming to like a gratitude and compassion for that. Mm -hmm. And I go through that experience and come out of that experience and I knew right away that it was gone and not to paint the picture of a panacea. But at the end of that week, I never had any chronic pain symptoms ever again.
1: How long ago was this
0: so that would have been 2018 okay yeah. so what
1: is that five years five years yeah okay so maybe backtrack a second here for those who don't know what ayahuasca is yeah what is it
0: yeah so ayahuasca is the mixture of the ayahuasca vine um and then there's a number of plants that contain dimethyltryptamine dmt um chacruna leaf is is typically the the leaf that's used in ayahuasca and so it's the combination of those two Plant materials brewed into a tea that are used in typically a group ceremony. Um, and it's about a six to eight hour experience um, that takes you through. You know, I think when I say the word psychedelic, people go like, oh, tie dye and visions and all that's that kind a, of stuff. Really
1: that's what I think because yeah. that's my only exposure to what those are.
0: A hundred percent. And, and, Certainly, there can be an aspect to that, but it's 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 a, a a very very small portion of of what that is. And you know, we now have a lot of good scientific data around the def- default note mode network and and the potential for psychedelics to essentially give you an experience of calming down the default note mode network. And our default mode network is essentially where we hold our programming for our relationship to experiences. And the best way that it's been explained to me, Michael Pollan talks about this in his book, How to Change Your Mind. Um, if you think about like a snowy hill and you take a toboggan down a slow, snowy hill like over and over and over again, you get these grooves in the snow, right? right? And no matter where you take your toboggan on the hill, you end up falling back into this groove in the snow after, after a long period of time. What psychedelics do is help groom the snow, Okay, and give you this opportunity not to forget the experiences that have happened to you, but how can you potentially create a new experience, a new relationship with those experiences? And that's something they call neuroplasticity, which is giving the brain a malleable state to be able to actually create new um, neural pathways within the brain. So ayahuasca is is a psychedelic. There's there's many others, and DMT is actually the psycho psychoactive compound within ayahuasca. And that's been traditionally held in ceremonies coming out of Peru for thousands and thousands of years. We, we've got now very good evidence of how long those have been used. And, and typically they were used in smaller communities, in you know a, a kind of regularly cadenced ceremony that the community would come together to do healing work and support one another and also solve problems within the community. Mm. Um, and so that's that's like the the condensed the Coles <laughs> Notes version of, yeah. of ayahuasca. You well, know? you
1: you went down to Costa. Rica. I went Rica. to Costa Rica. I didn't do. I was supposed to do ayahuasca, but I didn't get. We didn't get in touch with a shaman. But I was mm-hmm. actually wondering because I was told that the ayahuasca, you know, attacks the the mother wound.
0: So so oh, sorry. What's the mother wound? Any kind of like, I mean, it could mean many many different things. But yeah. essentially, like the any if there's any. Trauma associated with the okay. the mother or feminine side of of your relationship to your parents, right? Okay. Um, ayahuasca is typically called like they call it like grandmother, yeah. like it's called the grandmother. The people will argue or or say that it sort of has like a feminine sort of spirit, maybe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, grandmas can be pretty tough. <laughs> um, so yeah, it it but it definitely you know is referred to with that quality for sure.
1: Yeah, which is which I found interesting because I wonder if that played into because you talked about your mother a lot and she was enacted yeah. if if maybe, maybe confronting that mother would maybe helped with a hundred percent,
0: a hundred percent. I mean, I, I there was another experience that I and all all to say. And I'm and I'm touching on the the pyrotechnic or the psychedelic parts of this, but a lot of my experience, there was no visions attached Mm -hmm. to it. It was it was just this physically challenging sort of experience I went through. But I actually went through an experience of of essentially re-experiencing my birth, and um and I don't say that in the sense of like a uh, visual or like a dream, like it was it was me literally feeling like I had experienced that process again. And I had a very challenging birth experience. My mom went into cardiac arrest while she mm-hmm. was pregnant with me. I had to be removed from her and put in an incubator for three days. And, and it was this challenging, we almost lost my mom. It was this challenging sort of process. And, I, and I'd known that for a very, very long time. But what's interesting, and we see this a lot with psychedelic work, is in particular if you have trauma trauma, pre five years old. So your kind of ego gets formed around the age of five. Right. And you start to like be able to have this objective ability to look at yourself. Right. And so, but if you have trauma pre five, your nervous system is firing and wiring, you know, from the day you're born, if not before, right. Your first connection is with your mom when you're in the in the womb. So if you have traumatic events that have happened to you before the age of five, your nervous system is holding that event right if you're in a deep fearful state or a pain state or something like that before the age of 5 years old your body is experiencing that 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 imprinting that you have is is holding and experiencing that and it can be really hard to heal and release that trauma as an adult because we don't you know, you think about like talk therapy, talk therapy is like, a, you've got these memories, you've got this understanding of your relationship to those memories, but somatically you can really be in a challenging space to actually alleviate that from your nervous system. And I think that was a lot of what I was suffering with was trauma before the age of five that, and it was, and it was kind of this double-edged sort of like starting my personal work as young as I was, was I, I was almost building up this like mental capacity of understanding what was challenging for me without the tools or the resources to really bridge it. And so the pressure that I was kind of putting up against it continued to mount and be more significant as well. So while it was helpful, I think in a, while, in a lot of ways it was also making it very, very challenging for me as well.
1: Okay. so. In that six to eight hour... I'm going to go back to the ayahuasca piece mm-hmm, for a second. Mm-hmm. In that six to eight hour window where you're going through this experience, what exactly is happening to you physically, mentally, you name it?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's... And it, everybody's experience is is different, but it's a combination of, like, physical challenge, mental challenge, experiences of, like, complete bliss and release. And, um, you know, comp- I, I, I would say... Compa- like a real deep seated compassion um, and really building that ability to be compassionate and feel like worthy of that compassion. Right. And, um, you know, you can throw up in the bucket, you can bring an p- extra pair of underwear, bring an extra pair of underwear yeah. for sure. Mm. <laughs> really? <Okay. laughs> yeah. 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 Pack, 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 pack double, pack okay. double. Mm. Um, uh, all the above things can happen. Um, but it's interesting also like to to have to be in that group experience there's you're doing it with other people you're doing it with other people okay. well, um,
1: a few amount of days right did, or was yeah just so we
0: actually we actually did four ceremonies in a row so four nights in a row um and everybody was there for about a week but you drink this tea four times you drink yeah okay. yeah four times or four nights um, and there's you know for me there was a group of people there and, you, and there's a real like camaraderie to going through something like that together too right like anybody who's played like team sports or something or something like that when you go through like there's a a collective experience that you can go through. And as you watch people and it, in particular when you're in that retreat setting or, or just any sort of like community setting, when you hear people share little aspects of like what they went through, there's this real recognition of like, Oh, like this is, here's a part of like how that shows up in my own journey or like there's a real, yeah, collective healing process that happens. And I think it's something that's really, really missing in our current especially in mental health care is there's this real absence of like community support and group work right Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like you're on the couch with the therapist and you're going through the story and and there can be this real heaviness of like i don't know if other you know and you're hearing one person's you know, kind of paid right. perspective of like, it don't worry, everybody goes through that. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, oh, I paid you to say that. I pay- exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why we're seeing, you know, you're starting to see like, whether it's men's groups or like different things that are starting to pop up. And I think that that's really important. Right. So that we can have this like reflection of when things are hard. There are actually people who are going through similar things. Right. And there are people who've, gotten through it and there's people who haven't gotten through it right and we need that we need that community and we need that kind of collective support because ultimately like why are we doing all of these things so that we can have better relationships with ourselves and we can have better relationships with other people and you can't do healing doesn't happen in a vacuum right
1: yeah so okay so talk me through Numinous, how that sort of comes about and the work that you're doing now
0: yeah so you know i go through that experience and honestly like the the For me, one of the more scary places that I ended up, so I I go through this retreat, I come back home, and I'm now Peyton without chronic pain. Whereas my whole life, I've been Peyton with chronic pain. I know myself as Peyton with chronic pain. My family knows me as Peyton with chronic pain. People in my community, my friends, they all know me as Peyton who has this thing. Hmm. And it's this really kind of scary, like how do I relate with myself now? You know, even like time- line wise I was like man I'm gonna you know I was going to the hospital three days a week before like (laughs) I got all this time (laughs) to like do new stuff right and it was this really kind of scary moment of like how do I it there was a fragility I like I knew that the the pain was gone but it was there was this I hate to like you know the word sacredness has some like muddiness to it but Mm -hmm. like there was this like a newborn kind of mentality or this feeling that I had of like how do I cultivate and build some structure around this thing. Cause it felt like there could have, there could be the potential for me to slip back into the old pattern again. Right.
1: Is there a fear? Aren't, for sure. Like you'll wake up one day and the pain's back.
0: Not anymore. Not yeah. anymore. I mean, honestly, like, and, and honestly going back then there wasn't either. Like there was a, like a real gnosis of like, that's gone. Hmm. And the kind of like takeaway was that it was gone as long as I was willing to allow it to be gone. You know, like I get the the best explanation was like the system that was holding that pain was still there, but the fuel that I was putting in it was completely different now. And I'm sure you've seen
1: doctors since. Yeah, you know what, what's been their reaction.
0: You know, it's funny. Like I, I had this one. They'll never
1: prescribe going to Costa Rica. Well, and and, the,
0: and this was so I had one doctor who I'd worked with for for quite a while, and he was at this private health clinic, and you know, kind of a high regarded person and and so I come back and and I sit down with him. I'm like, I don't have to see you anymore. And he's like, what did you do? And I'm like, oh well I, you know, went and did this. And I start like getting on a little bit of a role, like people who've just done ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like the CrossFit thing. Once yeah. people do well, psychedelics, they don't, well, don't, don't shut up. up about doing psychedelics. So I come back from this from this ayahuasca thing and I'm sitting with this dog, and I'm going out and he's kinda like he's like nodding and and he's kind of got like this Open, and I'm like, he knows what I'm talking about. He's yeah. he Maybe he's done ayahuasca before. And so I'm getting on this roll of talking to him and he's not, and he's like looking like he's writing down some notes and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, like I found some community here. Like what I'm, I'm not, I'm not crazy. Like this is, this is a thing. Yeah. Anyway, so he gets up after I talk for a little while. He gets up and, and he goes out to the washroom or something like that. And his notepad is still sitting <laughs> on the desk. And I look at the notepad and it says, "What is ayahuasca?" <laughs> and it was spelled like I Z W. Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh no, like, <laughs> this is, I'm in trouble now." Yeah. Um, but I would say that the thing, the thing that I want, like as I was coming back, was I felt so. I felt so fortunate that I've been able to have this experience and I felt so grateful that I was able to have this experience and I felt compelled to somehow give back Mm -hmm. to this experience that I'd had. And I feel like I, I credit a lot of that to like me being able to create community was, you know, I had this like real draw to giving back and that really forced me to like reach out and start to talk to people. and. You know, within a very, very short period of time, you know, at the time there was really no like corporate or industry interest in psychedelics. It was primarily not for profit and academic groups that were doing research. And so I start reaching out and in like three weeks, I'm talking to Health Canada and like the heads of MAPS, which is the largest research organization in the space. And the thing I kept hearing back was there's nobody building any kind of infrastructure to be able to actually take this research and move it into application Um, application and a model of accessibility right and that was really you know kind of the impetus for starting numinous was like how do i how do we continue to support research but how do we actually make sure that there's a place to land here for people and for me like the the commitment for me around that was i was fortunate enough to be able to get on a plane and fly to Costa Rica and pay to go to retreat. And I'd had all of this, you know, mental health work that I had done. And, and I had all this kind of like resourcing around this experience. M- that's not most people's experience or opportunity. What does it typically cost to
1: do ayahuasca?
0: So I think I think he, it it was probably like five thousand six thousand bucks. Okay. You know, it's so a, a, a lot of money. It was a lot of people. money to a lot of people, yeah. and 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 in particular, people who are really suffering. Sure. Right. The people who like go to do these kinds of things, like it's not like oh I'm feeling a little bit off, maybe I'll go do some ayahuasca. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> most of these people are people who are really suffering, and most of them have been let down by a number of different treatments that didn't work. And that for me was like. You know, he asked, like, how did it feel when I was flying down to Costa Rica for the first time? And it was kind of like, you know, I'd thrown everything out. Like, there was nothing to lose because right. I'd been felt like I'd been let down so many times. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is there's this hopelessness of, like, I've tried things and nothing's nothing's worked. Right. Okay. And and in particular around mental health. Right. Like, we, we don't have a lot of very good options for where we go for mental health care. Right. You end up on an SSRI or an antidepressant, and if that doesn't work, you have some event that happens to you, and where do you go? The emergency room, right? And we think of the emergency, like if the emergency room is the last line of defense, right? If the emergency room doesn't work, then like, what else you got? What else you got, right? And and that you know now, especially up in Canada, I think are the third, the the third most active reason why people end up in the emergency room is complications with their mental health medication. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. It's huge, and and it's not sounds so preventable. Well, and that's I, and I think that's what's really, really shifting around mental health care. And I think that's why psychedelics are having this this kind of cultural moment right now. Is we're in this, you know, whether you're talking about anxiety, depression, suicidality, substance abuse, these are all rates that are going up. Like we're we we recognize we're not doing a sufficient job of treating. Mental health and exasperated by the pandemic. Correct, correct, and and so with that, if you look at all of these different things we use, right, whether it's antidepressants, SSRIs, and they have their place, but that's symptom management, right? And a lot of times we think like, oh, if I'm labeled like a or diagnosed a depressed person, then that's it. I'm a depressed person for the rest of my life, and this is a thing that I have to treat. What psychedelics are showing is maybe there's curative intent here. And maybe we can actually cure some of these mental health indications that people have. And that can sound like a big statement, but if you look at, so I mentioned MAPS earlier. So for anybody who doesn't know, MAPS is the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic science. And they've existed for 37 years and have raised $150 million all through philanthropy to take MDMA through clinical trials for the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder they've just completed their second phase 3 clinical trial they anticipate MDMA being legal for therapy this time next year but the results from their phase 3 and they were treating people with treatment resistant PTSD which means you've had to have tried at least 3 other major interventions and not have them work and primarily veterans so of that population over 80% of people saw significant clinical reduction in their symptoms, and 67% actually no longer met the PTSD criteria after three mm. treatments. So essentially cured their PTSD.
1: Three treatments. That's how, how far in between treatments?
0: That whole protocol you can run in like four to six weeks. Wow. Yeah. That's quick. It's super quick. Super quick.
1: So in about a month to a month and a half, you can mm-hmm. go from suffering from PTSD to potentially not having it anymore. Exactly.
0: And, and that, you know, you think about PTSD, actually, interestingly, in Canada, about 8% of the Canadians are diagnosed with PTSD, which is some of the highest PTSD rates on the planet. I mean, it's it's hard to quantify that because a lot of other countries don't have the opportunity to even diagnose yeah. people. I but, can think of a few countries you know, that probably have a ex- high number. Exactly. Yeah. And But if you think about that, that's the diagnosed number. How many people don't have a diagnosis, right? That's a huge number. That's over 3 million people in Canada, right? In the US, there's 14 million people that suffer with PTSD. So, um, and so now we're in this environment where, you know, there's clinical trials for psilocybin, for depression, and, and all of these different things that are happening. They're showing that psychedelics can be really, really useful for a whole bunch of different indications. And I think that's incredible, but psychedelics also aren't for everybody. And I think that's an extremely... There's so much positivity out there around psychedelics and you know this whole like microdosing wave is like bringing a lot of interest into the space and stuff like that but these are not for everybody. They're super powerful tools and some people are just not good for psychedelics. Can you can you touch on that a little bit because I think people to your point,
1: you know, there's that wave of microdosing coming through where mm-hmm. people are interested in trying new things. Mm-hmm. Some of them with intention, some of them just because it's the new thing to try. Yeah. But when you say that it's not for everybody, walk us through why that is, yeah. what some of the, 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 Fallouts of, of microdosing in the wrong way may, may mm-hmm. come about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a couple, like the, the, the very, very immediate ones are like anybody who has a family history or potential of, of schizophrenia, bipolar, psychedelics could actually trigger a schizophrenic event mm-hmm. or a bipolar event, right? Okay. We have to really, really be careful about that. Um, and that, that can be a, a lineage thing as well. So when we're talking about like proper diagnosing and screening and stuff like that, like you've got to look at family history, um, not, not to be, uh, contradictory to that statement too, but there was a recent study that, that was done out of Vancouver and there was a guy with really, really severe schizophrenia and he had all these voices in his head that he, they had actually told him to jump off Lionsgate bridge a couple of times in Vancouver. He tried, and they put him on a microdosing LSD protocol, and he. And after a little while, they asked him like, "How are you you know how are you feeling?" And he said, "Well, I still have the voices, but they're saying really nice things to me now." And mm. um, So all, all to say, we're at this kind of interesting, scary but interesting, scary but interesting. But but I think we just have to be super super cautious. And you know, a lot of people talk about this idea of like a bad trip. You, you hear that a lot. Like, mm-hmm. well, well, what if I have a bad trip? And. I don't think that there's, I I think, I don't think there's such thing as a bad trip. I think there's definitely such thing as a, a wrong set and setting. And you hear about set and setting a lot within the psychedelic space, but you see this a lot, like someone's at a party and they take, you know, too many psilocybin mushrooms and they have this really, really challenging experience. Right. And it's, and it's because you don't have, you're not in an environment that is allowing you to actually, move through that experience, right? But with a properly trained person and in the right environment, the more challenging experiences are actually you moving through something that is challenging within your psyche and and actually trying to alleviate it or heal it, right? And so I think that's, you know, another very, and, you know, it's funny, like walking around in Toronto, you now see all these like dispens psychedelics, dispensaries and stuff yeah. like that that are popping up. And, and I think access is, is great, but we have to be super, super careful. And, you know, also car- harm can happen with psychedelics too. And I think that's why a regulated environment is really, really important. There's no short Like. Everybody and their dog is now, you know, some kind of underground psychedelic <laughs> therapist, shaman, whatever you want to call it, yeah. right? And it's All like the more reason to be careful. A hundred percent. And it, and my it like, according to who, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, and and you know, there's there's evidence of psychedelic plants and substances being used for thousands and thousands of years in communities. But in traditional communities, that's like a ten year process to being a person who provides those treatments. Mm. And in pretty much every community or an indigenous community where people have used psychedelic compounds, it's actually the community that says who is the person next to provide that yeah. experience. It's not some person putting up their hand being like, I'm the shaman yeah, now, I'm the local, yeah. I'm the local healer. Yeah. Um, it's the community that makes that decision. Yeah. And so I think it, all, all to say there's a lot of risks that are associated with it, and we see this now even with ketamine. You know, ketamine is our first legal psychedelic therapy.
1: I wanted to ask you about that because that's the one that I'm familiar with in terms of like what I've heard people mm-hmm. talk
0: about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's interesting. Up in C- Canada has been a little more cautious around the rollout of ketamine therapy, and we offer this in all of our clinics, and it's been really profound. Um, you know, particularly around the treatment of depression, and ketamine ketamine's been used very actively in the emergency room for for a very very long time going back to world war 2 and stuff really? like yeah yeah so, so it's, it's
1: actually being applied by I'll call it traditional yeah. maybe not traditional but modern yeah, medicine yeah
0: yeah and it's actually it was used as an aesthetic for a long time too um okay. so it's been used as a very long time in the emergency room it's now starting to be applied much more to mental health care and in, as as i mentioned particularly depression but other mental health indications as well um, but ketamine's also gone through, you know, and and even as a ketamine provider, ketamine is the actually the only psychedelic that we have that shows a potential for abuse, mean. you know, m- meaning that you can become addicted to gotcha. ketamine as well. Gotcha. Um, whereas other psychedelics, like nobody's necessarily getting addicted to to LSD. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it'd be a pretty pretty tough thing to to take on a daily basis, right? It's
1: like overdosing on.
0: So that's, that's the other interesting thing with psychedelics as well is there's, there's actually no lethal dose of things like psilocybin, LSD, um, you know, ketamine, you can definitely be prescribed too much, um, MDMA, because it has like a heart rate increase issue if you're if you're dehydrated and you take too too, too much NDMA then you can have a cardiac issue mm-hmm. but for pretty much all psychedelic compounds there's no lethal dose like there that's and that was the thing for me that was really interesting as I started to look at this you know I had all of the you know LSD you know puts holes in your brain and all mm-hmm. these kinds of stuff and we've shown that that's actually very much not the case you'll you'll definitely not feel very good um <laughs> But um, but there's no there was actually a woman uh, recently this was out in the news, but there was a woman who um, was at a party and there was powdered LSD on a on a countertop and she thought it was cocaine Mm. and she took it like it was cocaine and it was something like 500 doses of LSD. And she was someone who suffered with bipolar disorder. And I'm, and I'm, I want to preface, like I'm not condoning or saying that anybody do, do not do that. Um, but she went through that experience and came out of it and she had no more bipolar disorder. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's all, all to say like, it's, it, we're kind of just scratching the surface and it's why clinical trials are, are so important. Um, and, and again, like, you look at, and I think LS, or MDMA is such a fascinating kind of example, and it and it will be kind of, it'll be the next legal psychedelic that we have because, um, or why it's interesting is that the therapeutic container in the clinical trials has shown to really be why it's effective. It's not the drug. Mm. The drug is just opening up, as I was mentioning, like the default no mode network. It's opening up an environment internally. To be able to work with a therapist and really heal and move through some of, you know, what might be challenging relationships with an experience that you've had in your life. So it's not,
1: if I understand it correctly, it's not like the drug itself is actually, you know, going from point A to point B, problem solved. Correct. It's it's sort of building an infrastructure for the person who still has to do the work with the therapist. Absolutely. But they're in a better state
0: Correct. To and do it, that work. And it makes it very tangible as well. You know, what's really, really hard, for, you know, you think about like traditional therapy, right? You go and talk to a therapist for an hour, you know, by the time you really get into it, the session's sort of over and then you yeah. go like, okay, well, I'll see you back here in two weeks, right. right? When do you ever get, you know, even if you took away the drug, when do you ever get the opportunity to sit with a therapist for like six hours yeah. and like get into it, yeah. Right if you, if you know we run clinical trials part of part of what Numinous does is we're actually the site for most of the clinical trials that happen yeah. and what's interesting right now in psychedelic clinical trials is you have like an active or uh, an active group and then you have the placebo group right and that's kind of how you run clinical trials we have a clinical trial with LSD right now that we're the the sites for and you either get you know a large dose of LSD or you get a placebo But regardless, you have to stay in that room for 10 Mm -hmm. to 12 hours. No, just like no phones, no No phone, no nothing, just sit with it. it. Uh, And the therapist and the people who are in the placebo group, you know, again, like 10 hours you get to spend like no phone, no distractions, none of this kind of stuff. And through the power of intention, we're, you know, people are having really remarkable results just with the placebo. Right. So. The psychedelic drug, while it kind of gets all the, you know, it gets all the limelight, it's it's really the therapy that makes it, you know, really, really effective.
1: Can you speak on the power of intention? Just because I know, especially we're talking about yeah. the... I guess the virality of of microdosing. If it just wants to microdose rooms and microdose this, but people rarely talk about. You have to set intentions and mm-hmm. intentionally do it.
0: I I think intention. Like I I think two things are so important when you're looking at this work is is intention and reverence. Right. Like the You think about the word placebo. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, people go, like, oh, is microdosing a placebo? It's like, well, how much would you pay for, is the placebo working? How much would you pay for the, you know, the placebo effect is a real thing. But I think what intention does, and, and we talk a lot about intention setting in the context of psychedelic therapy, and what we try and orient people around is, like, don't confuse intention with expectation, right? I remember the first ayahuasca ceremony I went into, I had this, like, they were like, put your, put your intention together. Right. And so I have this like list that's like, you know, like two pages long mm. of like, I'm gonna fix this. I'm gonna fix this. I'm not yeah. gonna have like all this kind of stuff. And I go up and they were like the whole, the, what they were saying is like, hold your intention and, and kind of think about that as you're drinking the ayahuasca. And I go up and I'm like, oh man, I forgot. Like I had so Got many, I had so <laughs> many things on my list. I forgot what any of them were. Intention should really be like, what is your Like, what is your anchor? What is the thing that is, you know, and as as you're going through challenging experiences, like, what is the thing that you, like, what is the thing that you can draw back to of, like, why am I here? You know, an intention might be, like, you know, I'm I'm a a parent. Like, my intention might be, like, how do I show up best for my daughter? Or how do I find more compassion for myself? Like, something that is this constant, like, mantra or motto or, or whatever you want to call it of like, why am I here? And why am I doing what I'm, what I'm doing? And, um, and that is very, very powerful in psychedelics. And I mean, it should, it should be, you know, I think we go through life a lot of the time, kind of just like going through the paces, going through the motion and we forget to go like, what, what am I here for? What do I, you know, what do I stand for? And, um, that can be, you know, I've, I've gone through periods of like, or going through even different experiences that I've gone through with psychedelics where like really all my, all I had was my intention Mm -hmm. and, um, and that can get really tested too. And I think that that's important, you know, as we go through these challenging experiences, I think that's a part of what we do is reminding ourselves why we're here. You know, we get so confused as we grow up, you go to university, I'm supposed to get a job. I'm supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to get Instagram followers. I'm supposed to, you know, get YouTube yeah. likes. I'm supposed to do yeah. all of these things. And you kind of lose sight of like, am I, you know, like, is, is that really, is that it's why like, I'm here? And yeah. maybe it is, you yeah. know? And I, and I think not to like go on a tangent, but I think a lot of the times too, when people think about psychedelic work and and that word psychedelic, there can be this fear. And I, and I see this a lot with like men or, like people who are high performers or executive types is like, well, I can't do that because you know, what if I lose my edge and I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to like wear poncho and crystals and, Mm. and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, my response is that is like, that's only going to happen if that's exactly what you were supposed to do. Right. That I, I think there's this opportunity with these different compounds of like us really getting back into connection of like, what feels purposeful to me, what feels like, and also bigger than myself, you know, I am not my depression. I am not my chronic pain. These are things that are trying, you know, even you think about like, what is anxiety, right? Anxiety is like this experience of like being fearful of something that might happen in the future based off of like something that may have happened to me in the past. Right. Mm -hmm you know, when we, when we talk about intention, like maybe there's an opportunity to go like, what is that thing trying to keep me safe from? We don't, we don't typically think about that. We think of it as like, oh, it's this thing that I've got to try and stop happening as, as, as quickly as possible. Cause it's making my life challenging. Maybe that thing has been knocking at the door for a really long time saying like, Hey, there's a thing here you got to pay attention to. And if I bring my intention to that, Maybe I can create a better relationship with what that thing is that's you know ultimately trying to keep me safe. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know.
1: so get, I I still have to like I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, th- doing ayahuasca for example, and and sort of taking the psychedelics, mm-hmm. I can understand how it supports a person when they're dealing with a mental health issue, right? Mm-hmm. But when there's a physical element to it how is mm. it resolving physical pain
0: you know I think in the sense especially like chronic pain I, I think the the challenge that we've had is like a western society is we treat them in an isolated sense and I think the thing that I was realizing is like there's no there's no separation, right? Other, other than, you know, if you go, if you break your arm, don't go to an ayahuasca ceremony, <laughs> go, go to the hospital. Right. Um, but you look at like chronic illness, right? And, you know, I think our minds, and, and this was at least my experience, like my mind was strong enough to fight off like what would be considered like a mental health issue. But my body was, respo- like my body was the thing that was responding there, And the
1: body holds that trauma in different ways. Correct. Correct.
0: And if you think, you know, and it makes a lot of sense, like when we're checking in with someone in regards to like how their mental health is, what do we say? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? It's not how are you thinking? Right. You know, how are you feeling? Right. That's, that's the barometer that we use for our current state. Right. Right. And, and so that, and we see this now, like we, we do a lot of, uh, neurology work and, um, actually out of Toronto, shout out to neurology center of Toronto. Um, but, um, one of the things that we see there is, is we treat a lot of people with epilepsy, um, and people who have seizures. And what we started to recognize was probably almost 50% of the people who are coming to us to have seizures when we are hooking them up to to like a brain scan when they were having a seizure, their body was having a seizure and their brain wasn't. Mm. Hmm. So the body is is the one that's producing the one that's having this response, right? Right. And it makes sense. You think about your your nervous system as an extension. Like, you know, I was having this conversation at dinner last night with with the neurologist Evan Lewis, and we were talking about like where does the brain end and where does the body start, right? The brain is an organ. Right. If you like mechanically, like your liver would be, or like right. your heart would be yeah. right. We kind of associate it with like our, th- our thoughts and all that kind of stuff, because that's, it's, that's maybe its job. Right. But it's really where we hold just, it's the library of where we hold our relationship to things. But the nervous system is, is throughout your entire body. Right. And, um, and so thinking about my chronic pain, you know, I, I, again, I think it was, as a young male, you know, who grew up, I have a younger brother who grew up in an environment where I had to take care of my mom and I had to take care of my, my little brother. Um, there was no space for me to like, you know, have a mental health challenge. There was no space for me to be depressed because I, would, I wouldn't I would survive, right. right? I had to take the role of the responsible one. And so I didn't give myself the space
1: It's funny you say, not funny, I mean, I'm sorry you had to go through that, but it's it's interesting you say that because a lot of responses that we see to clips or episodes that we post around men sort of opening up to the the challenges of their mental health, being vulnerable, is typically met with those types of comments, Mm -hmm. but from an angry place Mm -hmm. of, I don't have the time or the luxury to be talking about these things that you guys are talking about, I have to deal with the real world. Yeah. And it seems very unfortunate because that's where a lot of men are getting stuck.
0: You know, and and I, my, and again, this is a this is a, a privileged place to be able to say this, but I think the response always is like, "How's that working out for you?" Yeah. You know, and 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 I say that compassionately. You know, like, how is that working out for you? Are you showing up well as a father? Are you showing up well as a partner, as a son, as a, you know, all the things that that we show up to do? And um, I think if you ask. If anybody is feeling that way, if you went to the people who you love, who love you and say like, Hey, I don't have time to deal with the way that I'm feeling right now because I feel responsible for this or that, you know, even if you went to the people that you feel responsible for and said that, my guess is that the majority of those people would say, take the time. Mm-hmm. Right it's hard for us and and i think especially when you have these patterns when you're young we attach our especially as men we attach our worthiness to that right we attach our worthiness to like i'm going to do this like self-sacrificing thing for the good of my 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 group or the for the good of the people that i'm feeling responsible for and that's my that's my duty right and and, and i'll bear that for a while and and frankly like thank you to that part of me that did that because it was the thing that ultimately kept yourself safe as well it got you through that challenging period but more often than not it's not serving in a long term sense comes at a heavy cost 100% yeah. 100% and what happens once we're safe yeah right it's almost like a lot stop, of these men are looking for stop things looking now. for more Ooh. things to fight yeah. right that there, there will be another time don't worry <laughs> there'll be another time where you're going to be asked to, to step up to the plate yeah. right but it doesn't need to be all the time
1: amazing so okay when someone wants to so let me backtrack here if somebody is dealing with depression anxiety uh, PTSD in some cases yeah. how does the numinous get involved where do they go how does that whole process work
0: yeah so so the way we've always and kind of going again going back to my own experiences recognition that like yes psychedelics are becoming more and more available but in our experience what makes them effective is the preparation support, the integration support, that ongoing care is really what makes that tangible and effective for people. So we do a lot of just like traditional mental health work, talk therapy, different different kind of traditional Western modalities for mental health. And we we now offer MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, both in Canada and the U.S. Um, Up in Canada, we help change some regulations. So on a case-by-case basis, we can actually do psilocybin or MDMA therapy legally as well. And that's starting to open up more. Mm -hmm. So if you're you're a fit for that, we, we work with you. We do a diagnosis. And then we start to get you prepped for those different sessions. Um, you know, ketamine is, can be everything from one session to potentially multiple sessions. Um, and we kind of do a, a, depending on how severe your case is, there's a couple of different treatment options that we look at and then there's, there's ongoing care and, um, and then, you know, the, the sort of integration of those experiences. Amazing. Yeah.
1: And if someone wanted to get a hold of you to ask you more questions, is that something that you're open to? Absolutely. How do they reach you?
0: Yeah. So you can either go onto our website, numinous.com and there's tons of resources on there. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active out there at the moment. You can go on, you know, all my social media stuff is just Peyton Nyquist. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, continue. I'm grateful that my story, you know, helps and inspires people. Um, Unfortunately, there's, nothing special about my story. There's, there's a lot of people with very, very similar stories and very, very similar challenges. And, uh, and the encouragement is, is for those people to, you know, tell those stories. They're, they're so important. And, uh, and that's what inspires people when, when times are really, really hard. That's, that's what inspires and brings people through. So amazing. Yeah.
1: Thank you for coming through. I think the, like, as the space evolves, as regulations change around, you know, what's allowable, what's legal, what's not, and and stuff like that, I really think that there's going to be more conversations around this, and it becomes ever more important, to your earlier point, about people taking advantage of something without really knowing what they're stepping into, Mm -hmm. these kinds of conversations become even more important, Mm -hmm. because it changes, or at least it educates people, because ultimately, if they have an educated understanding of how something can affect them they're more inclined to do it the right way as opposed to just going to the mm-hmm. local yeah. pop-up shaman and deciding you look like you know what you're talking about yeah. you know hook me up type of thing
0: one well, I and I think just just on that on that note like these these present the opportunities to change your life hmm. take it with that level of significance and seriousness like treat it with reverence and treat it with you know intention like we talked about mm-hmm. like take the take the bold you know stance of yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna go at this like it's going to do something profound and life changing for me because it is the opportunity to do so yeah Yeah.
1: incredible Peyton thanks for coming through thank Thank you very much for having me appreciate your time appreciate you sharing that story Mm. and sort of talking us through educating me I know that you (laughs) you know more about this stuff than I do but like I'm just like a dumb kid trying to figure out how all this stuff works and It's interesting because it gives me something to think about um, in terms of how there's more treatments out there that are not as recognized Mm -hmm. that are actually working for some people. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to hear about the PTSD piece, you know, how it's helped in your scenario and how it could help potentially others who might be listening and go, hey, you know what, maybe this is something I want to consider. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. to your point, and this is where we'll end it, if you're going to do it, do it with intention and make sure you're doing it with a credible source. Correct. Like Numinous. Correct. Correct. Right. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate guys. appreciate your thank time. You really thank much. you very much. Poncho. You. thank you so thank much. You, Thanks brother. for every for listening, everybody.